Well, good morning, everyone. The fall aller <clears throat> allergy season is upon us. So uh, I, I'm going to preach bass today. Um, we just finished the, um, and I'll throw in some alto and soprano in there too. <laughs> it's funny, facial hair is just starting to come. The um, study of the book of Acts that we just concluded a couple weeks ago is, um, uh, there, there's so much in there. And so we decided over the next six weeks, we're going to take some of the themes that we never really fully developed and um, maybe spend a little extra time on that. So we're going to dig a little deeper uh, in uh, some of the themes of the book of Acts. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Um, Psalm 8615, uh, King David said this, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Aren't those wonderful words? Slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. Joel the prophet said similarly, Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting in evil. Wonderful words. God is slow to anger, and he abounds in compassion and loving kindness. When Moses asked, I want to see your glory, and God says, you can't see my glory, no man can and live, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and when I pass by, you can see my glory, and he did that. And as God's glory passed by, what did Moses hear? The Lord, the Lord God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, compassionate, merciful God. God suffers long. He is long-suffering. He's patient with sinners who deserve his wrath. Um, no greater example of God's long-suffering than what we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament related to the nation of Israel. God's compassionate long-suffering patience with the people that he chose. Clear back in uh, Genesis, God told Abraham, from you, Abraham, I'm going to raise up a great nation. Um, and through that great nation, the entire world will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. He reiterated that in Genesis chapter 17. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The patience, the long-suffering, and the promises of God, and true to his word, he chose Israel to be his special people. Of all the people, of all the nations on the face of the earth, he chose this ragtag group of slaves that came from Egypt. Now, I wouldn't have done that. They were the last people I would have chosen. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it reads, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. 
Now the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and he kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, you are my special people. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You are my chosen people. But with that blessing came warnings. And the warning was that to be his special people and enjoy the special privileges that came with that special people, they had to obey his law. That they had to follow the law of God. Deuteronomy 28, if you keep all these commandments, verses 1 through 15, blessings will come. Blessed blessings, 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 he says. And then in verse 16, but if you disobey my law, all these cursings will come upon you. Curse, 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 curse. You see, God's choosing of Israel was unconditional. I love you. Of all the peoples of the face of the earth, his choosing of Israel was unconditional. But to enjoy the blessings of that unconditional love, they had to stay in the land of blessing and had to obey God in the land of blessing. If the people disobeyed God and rebelled against him, they would be taken away from that land of blessing that he was going to give them, and um, judgment would fall. And so it was, a, it was a, an agreement, a, a covenant that God made. I unconditionally accept you as my chosen people, but if you want to experience my blessing, you've got to remain in the land of blessing. And in order to remain in the land of blessing, you got to obey me or you're going to get kicked out of the land of blessing. Any generation that failed to obey God's law would be in danger of being removed from the land of blessing. And therefore, all bets were off when it came to being blessed by God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the final giving of the law, Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, we read this. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his way, keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that your Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. And then this ominous warning. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and you worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. See, possession of the blessings of being a special people of God were unconditional. But the possession of that land and the blessings associated with it were conditioned upon the people's obedience. Being the favored nation status of Israel was a position given to them unconditionally. But to enjoy the privileges of that, 
to possess the privileges of the land and the blessings associated with it required faithful obedience to God. Sadly, as we see over the history of Israel in the Old Testament, time and time and time again, right, they failed God. They decided to walk in their own ways. The Proverbs 3 said the, to not trust in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Uh, and they trusted in their own understanding. And time and time and time again, they rebelled against God. And time and time and time again, God forgave them and blessed them, and yet he was true to his word. You read through the book of Judges, and nations would come and, and put those people into captivity. They would repent and return to God, and then a few years later, they're doing the same thing over and over again. And it reached a point in 722 B.C. when God said enough, and the ten northern tribes of Israel were taken away and destroyed into captivity by the Assyrians. And then in 586 B.C., God said, enough with the southern two tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And the Babylonians came and put them into captivity and wrenched them from the land of blessing. Just like God had said in Deuteronomy, I, I give you a choice. Death and life. Prosperity, adversity. Choose life and live. But if you go your own way and if you rebel against me, I'm going to pull you from the land of blessing and all these curses will fall upon you. And true to his word, God punished Israel, and he drove them from the land of blessing. He drove them from his, the place of blessing. Now amazingly, God in his grace and his long-suffering patience, 70 years after being taken off into captivity in Babylon, 70 years later, God allowed a remnant to return to that land. 50,000 Jews came back into the land to try to rebuild that promise. Now again, please understand, God never broke his eternal covenant with Israel. That promise of being that special people of God was unconditional. God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an everlasting covenant but possession of the blessings of that covenant took place in the land of blessing and only if they continued to obey him. The promises of God to Abraham were never nullified. And you come to the very last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi ends with this, with this anticipation of one day blessing is going to come. I'm going to send to you the prophet Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. There was this anticipation that maybe one day there would be restoration of Israel in the possession of the land and all the blessings that came with it. But after the book of Malachi and the Old Testament ends, there's four centuries of quiet. The people of Israel, this chosen people, never hear from God again for four 
centuries, 400 years. No prophet spoke. There was no sign from heaven. It was as if God just disappeared. 400 years of silence. Now, that's where Luke, the gospel writer and the writer of the book of Acts, picks up. My throat is bad, but my ears still here. <laughs> That's where uh, Luke picks up. After 400 years of silence, Luke records in chapter 1 that a voice was finally heard. It was the voice of the last Old Testament prophet that God raised up. And his name was John the Baptist. And John, that prophet-like um, Guy with the wearing the camel's hair and eating the locust and wild honey and going out on the, the Jordan River and crying out, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was the voice, and in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, the ancient prophet, the eighth century prophet Isaiah, John the Baptist begins to announce the Lord, the Messiah. Make way, prepare the way. He's coming. And if that wasn't enough, there was even a, a more powerful voice that spoke. It was under the strangest of circumstances. It was a voice of one of God's chief messengers, Gabriel, who showed up at a little gal, Jewish gal's home in Nazareth, a young virgin girl who Gabriel announced and said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. There it is. The voice of God. After 400 years of silence, God breaks through the silence with the voice of John the Baptist and the voice of Gabriel, his messenger. The Messiah, Jesus, is going to come. And he will be given the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And in all the Old Testament prophecies of the coming kingdom, Gabriel says, there will be no end to his kingdom. And with that announcement, and then the birth of this baby, it would seem as if the promises of God were about to be fully realized. All those promises that God had said to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those promises to David and even to Solomon and all the prophets of old, Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Zechariah and Malachi, it was as if they were about to come to fruition. Jesus, the Messiah, had come. Born of a virgin, just like Isaiah said and prophesied in chapter 7. Come to reign over the house of Jacob forever to sit on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, and there would be no end to his kingdom. Only one thing would get in the way of that happening. Only one thing would prevent that from happening. And it was the one thing that always prevented those blessings from happening. The rebellion of the people. 
the disobedience of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God. And sadly, that's exactly what happened, right? John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. The Jewish people rejected him. We have no king but Caesar, they said. And just before Jesus was crucified, he pronounced judgment. Here was the judgment as recorded in Luke chapter 21. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Just a few days after pronouncing that judgment, Jesus is hanging on the cross. The religious leaders of Judaism turn him over to the Romans and he's executed. All a part of God's divine plan. And his disciples and his followers and all those who had the hope just the week before as he, as he comes into Jerusalem riding on the donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah, the prophecies of the coming king, and they wave the palm branches and his followers cry out, Behold, this is the one, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of Jehovah Yahweh. And a week later, all hope is gone. All hope of fulfilling God's Covenantal promises are dashed. Or, or are they? Of course, three days later, Jesus pulled it off. Three days later, he is raised from the dead. And with the resurrection of Jesus, hope is resurrected again. And it's interesting that as, as we saw in the book of Acts, over the next 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, what does he do? He takes his disciples and his followers and he keeps talking about the coming kingdom of God. For 40 days, it says, he speaks to them and teaches them about the kingdom of God. And the disciples said in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, I mean, they were getting excited. Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, is this it? Are you going to sit on the throne of your father, David, and and the kingdom is going to be there forever on this earth, is now the time. And remember, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times of the epochs that the Father has set. You just be my witnesses. You go tell the world. You start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then you go to the uttermost part of the world, and you tell them what you've seen, that I was dead and I was raised to life, that I am he, the fulfillment of all those promises. You be my witness. Don't worry about the timing of the kingdom. You just be my witnesses in the world. Go make disciples of me. Now there's a famous verse that I'm sure it's familiar with you in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Remember this? It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive 
their sins, and I will heal their land. The promise of God. Now the disciples took that to heart, for sure. And so they're going out in the early pages of the book of Acts, those early days and weeks of the book of Acts. They're going to the Jewish people. And what is their message? Repent. The kingdom of God is here. It's, it's coming. Jesus has ascended, but he's going to return. The angels told us that. This Jesus that you saw ascend into heaven is going to return just in the same way in the clouds. He's going to come again. He taught us for 40 days about the coming kingdom. It's coming. Now you put the Messiah to death. We gave him over to the Romans. You crucified him. But if you turn from your wicked ways, he'll come and he'll restore the blessings. Peter preached it this way in chapter 3. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ, his Messiah, would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, you chosen people, you of Israel. And then he says in verse 26, for you first God raised up his servant. And he sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Peter's quoting right from 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And here's Peter. Here's Peter calling the people to turn from their wicked ways and trust Jesus as Messiah. But again, as we saw from the book of Acts, the Jewish leadership were going to have nothing to do with it. Time and time again, they either imprisoned those voices or they pursued him in death. Remember the stories of the Apostle Paul? He, for years, was tracked down all over Palestine, even to far reaches of the Roman Empire. So they could silence him. The Jewish people wanted him dead. Oh, many did trust Jesus as their Messiah. They listened to the voice of the disciples, of those early apostles, and of those missionaries. But the vast majority turned their back and persecuted the followers of Jesus. As we saw in our study of the book of Acts, the last verse is the apostle Paul in jail in Rome and yet, what is Paul doing? He's talking about the kingdom. He hadn't given up hope. He was talking about the very kingdom of God that Jesus had spent 40 days at the beginning of the book of Acts telling his disciples. It was not for them to know the times or the seasons that the Father had fixed for when that kingdom would be realized on this earth, when when, according to Gabriel, the Messiah would sit on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem and, and reign forever. But the hope was there. And Paul, the very last verses in Acts, is preaching of the kingdom that's coming. But the people turned their backs. They continued to persecute the followers of Jesus. 
And just a few short years after Luke put down his pen and finished writing his two-volume work of Luke and Acts, just a few short years later, what Jesus had predicted, that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, that's exactly what happened. In 70 A.D., and Josephus, the Jewish historian, records for us the Roman legions came and they marched in and they sacked Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. Over a million Jews were slaughtered in Judea. 100,000 Jewish people were taken away into captivity, Roman prisons, Roman captivity. Jesus' words of judgment rang true. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Folks, if you know anything about the history of the Jewish people, you know that from that day on, century after century, the Jewish people have known nothing but sorrow and pain and persecution and rejection, time and time again, removed from their land of promise. What God said and warned did indeed happen. The people of Israel have known nothing but sorrow. Here's just a little bit of history related to that. It was in AD 132 to 135, where the remaining remnant of the few Jews that remained in that region of Judea attempted one final revolt against Rome. It was called the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, revolt, the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. And this time, the Romans took and they obliterated every vestige of Judaism in Palestine. And they were all removed from the land. 580,000 remaining Jews were slaughtered. Over the next centuries, wherever they were, it seemed like they faced persecution and sorrow and sadness. Let me jump ahead to 1146, when the Muslims came and they massacred 220,000 Jews in northern Africa. In the 14th century, when Europe was being faced with the Black Death, who, um, who was accused of starting the Black Death? the Jews, and they were persecuted, and they were killed because of that. You take the 17th century, you have the areas of, of the Ukraine and Poland, the Cossacks came and massacred tens of thousands of Jewish people. The pogroms, the, those, those um, persecutions that, that ripped Jews from their land, pushed them out, or forced them to convert to Christianity or whatever, or just again killed them. Pogrom after pogrom after pogrom took place. And they would have to load up their belongings and find someplace else to live if they survived. Fast forward to the 20th century. Stalin, it said, killed close to 2 million or over 2 million Jews in Russia. And then, of course, the horrific Holocaust. Hitler in Nazi Germany slaughtered six million Jewish people. And you would think that the, 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 
the absolute, if there was any vestige of hope remaining, it was over. You see, there was spiritual warfare going on here all along. Satan and his minions do not like God's chosen people. And throughout the centuries of time, Satan has tried to eliminate them completely. And came very close in the last century. But something was stirring. Something almost miraculous was taking place. In 1896, there was a man by the name of Theodore, Theodore Herzl. Theodore Herzl realized that if, if Jews are going to survive, they're going to have to have their own land. They're, 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 going, to have to, they're going to have to have their own nation. Because everywhere they've gone, they've been persecuted. And the Zionist movement began in 1896 when Theodore Herzl began to to uh, write his papers and emphasize this, this, this need for statehood for Israel. It didn't pick up much traction, although in World War I in 1917, before World War I concluded, Britain, who controlled that region of Palestine, the British government declared what was called the Balfour Declaration. And in that Balfour Declaration, they simply declared their support for the idea, the concept of a Jewish state, 1917. Amazingly, 31 years later, just three years after six million Jews have been slaughtered in the Holocaust, on May 14, 1948, the absolute unthinkable happened Israel became a nation. Israel indeed became a nation. People, that had not happened in, for 2,500 years. Israel had not been a nation for 2,500 years. And just 75 years ago this last May, May 14, 1948, the state of Israel was formed. Now, it was going to be apparently short-lived because all the Arab nations around there said, you become a nation, we're going to drive you into the Mediterranean Sea. You may be a nation for a few days, but we will push you out of the land of Palestine totally. And they might have done it. They might have done it. But they didn't figure on that there would be a little short man who wore wire-brim glasses who was born in a little town in Missouri who had been in business with a, a friend of his who happened to be Jewish, a haberdashery, a, a clothing store in, I think, Independence, Missouri. And this little short man uh, with the wire-rimmed glasses, his name was Harry Truman. And it just so happens that Harry Truman was the president of now the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, the United States of America. And that old business partner of Harry's called him up and he said, Harry, You've got to support Israel. You've got to speak up and support Israel. And that's exactly what Harry Truman did. And the United States stepped up in their support for this now beginning state of Israel. 
And, and one miracle after another. If you read the last 75 years of Israel's history, there is absolutely no way that they should exist. One miracle after another. One war after another. And somehow, they not only survived, but they thrived. They thrived. How has this happened? How is it possible for a people who have been so persecuted, attempts time and time again to obliterate them from the face of the earth, who had not been a nation for 2,500 years, how is that possible? Well, let me read to you from the prophet Ezekiel. I'll read it. You don't have to turn there, but Ezekiel chapter 37. Here we go. The hand of the Lord was upon me, says Ezekiel, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And lo, they were all dry, very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back to you. I'll cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am Jehovah Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a, a noise. Behold, a, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath of life in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, and prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they will come to life. And so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they came to life, and they stood to their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope has perished, we are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says Jehovah God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up and out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, and then I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land, and then you will know that I, Jehovah Yahweh, I have spoken, I have done it, declares Jehovah. Have the dry bones come together these last 75 years? It would seem so. But one thing I can say with certainty is that the breath of life has not been breathed into them. Israel is, has more atheists, they say, per square mile than 
probably anywhere else in the world. There's a lot of Jewish people who want nothing to do with God yet. Yet. Jesus had said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In a few months, we're going to be starting the study of the book of Daniel, and we will see exactly what God has in store. But just remember that Jesus said, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then what happens? Well, the Apostle Paul, let me close with this. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I'm an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, ethnic Jew, not some spiritualized concept. I'm an ethnic Jew. I, here's my pedigree. The seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And, and, and by the way, this is another whole study, but the word foreknow, please understand it has far richer understanding than just God, oh, I know what's going to happen ahead. It's a concept that means that God foreloved. There's a personal, relational concept to this. Those were the people that all of all the other nations on the face of the earth, God said, I set my love and affection on them. They were the least of all the people. But I love them. I chose them. They are mine. And they will be mine forever, said God. I have not cast away the people I foreknew. And then Paul writes, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. When you look out of the events of the world and you read the history of Judaism, you read various theologies that would say otherwise, don't be wise in your own opinion. But a blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Where do you get that idea? Jesus. And so all Israel will be delivered, will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. What is the hope for the Jewish people? The long-suffering faithfulness of God, faithful to his promise. And then Paul adds, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for the seer sake. But concerning the election, their chosen status as God's special people, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When God makes a promise, he doesn't take it back. Jehovah God 
is a long-suffering, patient, gracious God, and he's true to his promises. I don't know for sure what's happening right now in the Middle East. I don't know if this is all part of, it is part of God's plan, but how it all fits in, I'm not sure. But I know one thing, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And one day all Israel will be delivered. Zechariah tells us, when the Messiah returns again, they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn. They will turn to him and all the promises of God will be fulfilled. And the king will return and set up his kingdom here on earth and there will be a special place for the Jewish people. The story of the Jewish people is a story of the faithfulness of God. The, the, there was a, the Frederick the Great was a, a Prussian leader in the, in the 18th century, and he was being bombarded by that, by that, that age of enlightenment and all the, the, the stuff that was going on in the 1700s in, in Europe. And, and he asked his chaplain, I need, I need a defense for the veracity of God's word. I, I, I need a defense for the truthfulness of God's word. He went to his chaplain and says, give me a, I don't want, I don't want a, a, a theological treatise. I want it short, simple. Give me, give me something that shows the truthfulness of the word of God. And the chaplain says, I, I'll give it to you in one word. Israel. Israel. Because God said, you're my chosen people and you will be forever my people. And if that was true in the 18th century, it's true in the 21st century, it's true today. Because God is going to fulfill his promises. He's a faithful God. Because the most important question this morning is do you know this faithful God yourself personally? He's real. That faithful God who's for all the generations of time who's fulfilled his plan and is unfolding his, his, his prophetic vision for, the, for all of mankind. He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants a relationship with you. So much so that he sent his son Jesus into this world to take your sin and my sin. That which was causing us to be separated from God for all of eternity. He took our sin upon himself, and he died in our place. He took the judgment. He took the fall so that we could have a life for all of eternity with him in, in heaven. And to receive that life, to receive that free gift, all we have to do is believe this. It's a free gift. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know Jesus? Is he your savior? Do you have a relationship with this living God? You can today by simply believing what I just said is true. Transfer your trust off of yourself, off of your religion, off of your good works, and put it on Jesus because he did all the work and he offers you the free gift of eternal life. And in the moment you trust Jesus, you have an eternal relationship with the faithful, compassionate, gracious God who keeps his promise. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. 
for your story, for what you do for the nation of Israel. May there be peace in Jerusalem. One day there will be when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be peace. Father, um, we pray for that now. We pray, Father, that your people there in the Middle East and Israel, your people that are there maybe sprinkled in the Gaza Strip and in Syria and Lebanon, your people will have a boldness, even if it costs them their life, a boldness to say, Jesus is the answer, is the hope. Father, may you accomplish your purposes, you always do, in your time and your way. For your glory we pray in. Amen.